Hey, my friend, this is your host again, Nishant. And before we start this podcast episode, I would love to tell you that I am receiving podcast feedback survey. And the intention of this podcast feedback survey is to know who are my active listeners personally so that I can create a magical heartfelt experience and touch your heart through my personal stories and guest personal stories and learnings. This feedback will really help me to see what you love the most about this podcast and where I can improve. And then I can double down on the activities you love the most and slowly adding new things from this category of new improvements. There are total six short questions which will only take five to seven minutes. And the link of this podcast feedback survey is in the description of this podcast. The first question is, how would you feel if you could no longer listen to this podcast? In case if I stop publishing it, how would you feel? Somewhat disappointed? Very disappointed? Not disappointed at all. (laughs) You don't care. And the second question is, what is your favorite go-to podcast platform? Apple Podcasts, Spotify, could be others. And number three, what type of people do you think would benefit the most from this podcast? Question number four is, what is the main benefit you receive from this podcast? Number five, how can I improve the podcast experience for you? And the last question is, what can I do not to make this better, but to make you tell everyone about this podcast? Whoever you meet in your life, you tell about this podcast. Listen to Nishankar show. Listen to this show. What can I do differently that you tell everyone about this show? There are total six short questions and this link and the form link is going to be in the podcast description. So please check it out. I would really, really appreciate your feedback this fall. And thank you so much again. And now let's start the podcast. Hey, my friends, I hope you are doing well. And this episode is going to be about an hour long. So please be patient with me in this episode. So I'm doing something different in this podcast episode. I'm not interviewing any other folk in this episode. I am being interviewed by a good friend from New York City. His name is Mike Trugman. He interviewed me on this on his podcast in 2022 last year. And why, why I am doing this new format this time? I've been keen on knowing who are my true active listeners, who are the people who are really supporting my journey, who are really supporting my work, and who are really getting benefited out of this podcast and out of this blog. So I asked two of my good friends about the podcast feedback, that where can I improve and what can we do better? And one good friend name is Noel from Idaho. And another friend's name is Walt Hampton. So they told me that I do interviews well, but I never share my journeys on this podcast. And that is very true. I have not shared my journey on this podcast in a detailed way. I've written about that in blogs, but I have not shared about my journey in different forms. So this episode is very dear to me. And Mike really asked very deep 
questions about my life, about my upbringing in India and how did I move to US? What were the events that led up to the transformation in my life at the age of 30? And how I'm cultivating awareness, resilience. How did I start the podcast? What what lessons I've learned by interviewing 200 plus folks on the podcast and my mindfulness journey, meditation, shadow work, trauma and healing and some of my favorite books that I, that I revisit. again and again and my favorite music but there are so many things that we go deeper in this episode and if you have listened to this podcast for some time you will learn new things about myself in this episode and i believe that this episode will connect you and me at this human level and i want to build that connection with you the dear listener and this is this is my attempt to build that connection with you and who is mike trugman mike trugman is he lives in new york city and he's on a mission to provide the support accountability knowledge and safe environment for people to find a customized strategy that works for them to create new reality a life where you wake up each morning with purpose energy and excitement and some of the books that we talk about are the art of possibility awareness transitions Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel and Attached by Amir Lavin. And the people we talk about in this podcast, Tim Ferriss, Debbie Millman, Guy Kawasaki, Carl Jung, Brennan Richard, Wayne Dyer, Tony Robbins, and William Richards. So please, please enjoy this podcast episode. And if you enjoy listening to this, please let me know how you feel when you listen to this podcast episode. does it build any connection with you between you and me i would love to hear your feedback on this podcast episode and uh, as always thank you so much again for all your support and now let's begin nishant welcome to the show my friend thank you so much michael for having me on your show it's my pleasure I I really look up to the work that you do and and your podcast. We we were just talking about how wonderful an interviewer you are, and I would love to unpack that a little bit in this conversation. But before we go there, I always start off my interview by asking this question, and I think you'll have a really illuminating answer because you grew up in India and you have a very different culture from what i grew up in and so the first question i always ask is what was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up <laughs> great question i've never been asked that so going back in my memories you know some indian indian food indian chapati indian rice or indian curries that's what i remember there were different variations that my mom used to cook and i still miss those things because my parents live in india and uh, my extended family lives in the us but my close family they live in india so i miss that food that dinner and i know i cannot cook the similar pattern and i cannot get that in the us so yes dinner it it brings those memories that different variations of indian curries and chapatis uh-huh 
And what was, what was the, like, were you one of several siblings and, and what was your relationship like with your parents? That's a very interesting question. So this actually, these few weeks, the last few weeks, I've been exploring my relationship with my parents, the trauma and the upbringing. So in terms of siblings, I had one elder brother who died seven years ago. So I was 27 and he was 33 at that time. So he died, unfortunately, due to blood cancer. And the the relationship with my parents, there wasn't any emotional bond with them. You know, they did it the best. They sent me to a good school. They provided all the good education. But there wasn't any emotional or physical connection with them. And I asked my mom last week, actually last week or two weeks ago, that when I was born, what were my first two years of life look like? How did you care about me? How did you, who are the caretakers? Because that shapes your attachment styles. And I was asking her about that thing. It was very hard for me to ask about that. And she told some of the things that I can see how that shaped my adulthood. And I'm trying to uncover that trauma and that unlearning. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is, was that, would you say that was typical of, I know that I'm asking you to make a, maybe a broad generalization here, but was that typical of, of the culture in India to be raised in a family where the, the parents, yeah, they did the best they could. They, they tried to provide for you, but there wasn't a lot of emotional support or that, that probably wasn't even something that was a strong consideration. Like, was that normal of the culture? At least that's what I saw in my family, in my extended family. And the part of the reason is that it's very driven. The Indian culture is very driven towards getting success, becoming engineers, becoming doctors, and making lots of money. So that cultural conditioning was there, putting a facade to look good in life. There is nothing wrong with that. But when I look at my parents now, they didn't get love from their parents either. It's multi-generational. It's coming from generation to generation. So they just didn't know how to provide mature love to their children. You know, that, that love that we call emotional love, that mature love, they didn't know how to provide to their children. And that's what I saw everywhere in my family. So the they they, they showed love through, you know, paying for your college, paying for your school, that's how they they knew how to show love. Mm-hmm. And was this something that you had awareness of when you were younger, like as you went into college? Even was it some, or is this something that you only started reflecting more on recently? I didn't have any awareness because how do you get awareness? The question is, you get awareness when you see people around you doing the work. I didn't see anybody doing mm-hmm. any life transformational work. You just live through life. You just live through motions. Go through motions. So. When I came to U.S. at the age of 29, around 30-ish, when I was about getting 30, then I started to get all this awareness from nowhere because at the time I was dating someone for a bit and she didn't want to be together. And that really hit me hard. And I found one life coach on YouTube. His name is Coach Corey Bain. And that brought me into this world, you know, from one thing, getting confidence with women, how to approach women in an authentic way to to getting into spirituality and to it's been it's been five years. So no, I didn't have any awareness about this thing. My only goal was to make money, be successful, becoming the CEO of a big company. That was the thing I, I was driven to. And a part of it is a lot of cultural conditioning. 
Right, right. So you said you said you moved to the U.S. when you were about twenty nine or thirty. What? How? How long? Actually, twenty seven. I would say twenty seven uh, when I moved to U.S. I was twenty seven, and uh, yeah. And how how long ago was that? Like what what year was? Twenty fourteen. I I came to U.S. Uh, in twenty fourteen. It was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I was in Baton Rouge for six months, and then I moved back to India for one year. I came back to U.S. in twenty sixteen. So since twenty sixteen, so it's been six Got years. It. I would say overall six years. And overall, I'm sure a lot of factors went into it. But what what brought you to the United States? What what was yeah? What gave you the impetus to leave India? So the thing is, you can't just leave country like India and come to US because I was working for a company. They they moved me here. I was working from from their office in India, and they got me a job transfer here in the US. Usually, we can't just you have to go through the education. You have to go through the graduation process in the US to really live here and get a work permit. So I didn't have to go through that. I did all my education in India, and I was already working in a corporate in India, mm-hmm. and that's how I got moved here. Yep. So, so you're raising a family that that valued traditional success, right? They wanted you to be a, a doctor or lawyer or an engineer, something that was going to make you a lot of money. What was what was the initial direction you went in your career? Engineering, I studied computer science, and I knew from a very early age, when I was in fourth or fifth grade, that I wanted to study engineering. And how I knew because I saw all these engineers, doctors lawyers in my family. So I knew this is the direction I want to go. So after high school, I didn't have any doubt. I knew this is the direction I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. And is that, so I know that, I know that if we fast forward a little bit, you have a podcast and you, you explore things that are nothing related to engineering at all. You, you and I are really up to similar stuff. We, we want to know what makes people tick and how to live a rewarding and meaningful internal life in a lot of ways is engineering still something that you see yourself doing long term is it still something that you're that you're doing at all or like where where i'm, I'm still doing this? it yeah i'm still doing it and i'm not sure if i really want to do it in the next few decades i don't know i don't have the answer in the last two years i was not enjoying this work of engineering but now I'm getting support from different coaches, career coaches that, so I'm still in the process of understanding what do I really want to do in terms of engineering, podcasting, what is my next step? It's very unknown and it can be scary at times when it is unknown. I know that tech, I'm really good at it. I've spent more than a decade and everything is tech. Everything is tech. So I'm, I'm shifting towards how can I leverage tech to create the, to create things that I really desire, not mm-hmm. getting away from tech because tech is everything and I'm really good at it. Mm-hmm. So why not use tech to create something in this transformational space? Or maybe not. You know, another philosophy that I'm exploring is why to put all your eggs in one basket? Mm-hmm. Why, why am I trying to get all the meaning and purpose and desire and happiness and joy and fulfillment from only one thing from only one my job how can i have different pillars in my life to get in different meaning purpose and fulfillment not to put so much dependency on one thing you know in terms of finances we have asset allocation we don't put all the money in one basket so that's what i'm thinking okay i'm good at engineering i can also do that and i can also do a podcast i can also do something else 
how can we have all of it if we really want it because if if you look at different authors they are speakers they are trainers they are consultants they do many things they don't do just one thing and it's an extension of who you are if what yes. you're doing is an extension of who you are why not mhm well i really i want to unpack a lot of this with you but i want to rewind just a little bit to when you started your podcast and in a lot of ways i you know the story that i'm making up is you started the podcast in exploration of a lot of the things that you have spoken about in the first 10 or so minutes with me so i would love to hear like what what gave you the inspiration to actually follow through and start with it you know you, it was it was you're an you're an engineer and it wasn't necessarily something that lined up on paper so how did you decide to start the podcast so the podcast got started in january of 2020 so from 2017 to 2019 i was reading books i was going to workshops i was attending seminars i was doing all this transformational thing you know when you are new into all these things it seems a lot because you want to read so many books and you can't read so many books of course you shouldn't read so many books you should study my philosophy is study things don't just read for the sake of reading it and uh, i was doing all this work for two years and then i started in that time frame from 2017 to 2019 i started sharing my learnings on facebook on instagram or on different platforms this one i'm learning is sharing my learnings because i always seen myself as a teacher you know when as a child when i learned something new i always wanted to teach that or discuss that with others just finding people with whom i can share my learning so in that time frame between 2017 2019 i started sharing that on facebook social media on different platforms and then it just a, i just had a goal okay i'll at the beginning of 28 2020 that okay i will i will publish 8 to 10 blogs within 6 weeks what i did was that i was sharing a lot of things on facebook i set a time and copied all the content of 2 years on facebook into word document i realized that how can i track what if facebook is gone what if something happens what if somebody hacks my account all this information will be gone so i just sat down copied all the post into a word document and just created 8 to 10 blogs if you look at my first few blogs on the website you will see those were shared on facebook earlier and i just you know crafted into a blog form and that happened and they said a goal okay what would it look like if i publish 6 to 8 podcasts so the podcast idea came through one of the depression episodes early on in january of 2020 I was on enjoying going to work at the time that happened first time in my life on Monday morning Monday morning I was just feeling sick to go to work I mm-hmm. it had never happened to me in my life and I was already doing journaling meditation I already had these practices so I just journal seven pages and I thought okay maybe somebody someone else is suffering what if I just record it just happened from nowhere without having any desire for a podcast I didn't I didn't even know how to record I didn't even know how to publish so I recorded through my crappy of crappy office microphone and uh, if you look at the first episode is something called anxiety or something I just didn't know what I was doing I was my my hands were shaking I just didn't know how to use my voice I didn't have any microphone so I just recorded that in google how to use how to 
put it onto a podcast, anchor.fm and Afonic. I just used and put it out there. And from there, it just happened. My goal was six to eight. Within six weeks, I started asking my Facebook friends, hey, would you just come and let's talk? People say no when you have, <laughs> when they know they don't know what you're doing. Yeah, from there, just got started. Wow. So the biggest story is that feeling depression to go to work. And I knew I, I was journaling about it. And from there, just got it started. And if I look back my life, when I think too much about something, that never starts. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it it meant to happen. It meant to happen. And then I started studying the podcasting thing, how to interview people, how to find people. And from there, it's been two plus years. Incredible. And I'm I'm really I've I've had the the chance to listen to a few of the episodes and and you're a really wonderful interviewer and it's amazing Thank to you. think that you you only it, it really has happened in the culmination of uh, I guess two years or so right I mean it's it's really been only two years since you started the podcast so I would love to unpack now you know it's the the podcast started from a place of of depression you said and and real pain like you were really looking for answers. I would love to spend a large part of our conversation just uncovering what you, yeah. <laughs> you've interviewed so many interesting people. You've probably learned so much. I mean, from a place of pain, like what did you learn in the beginning? And then we can go on this journey of like, what what have you learned from interviewing so many different world-class experts? And uh, yeah, so maybe some of your key takeaways from having a podcast. My learning is that everybody has their own struggles, their challenges, even though they may have big name, they may have big credibility, we all are human beings. Mm-hmm. My takeaway is that try to treat people as human beings, not try to put them on pedestal, and which is a practice, mm-hmm. which has been hard to me in my life because a lot it goes back to the cultural conditioning, putting putting people on pedestal, you know, growing up in a family where a lot of my relatives were rich. We were not rich. So when they when my when my relatives used to visit our place, our family used to put them on pedestal. So learning that thing early on was showing up in my podcasting. So I had to literally just breathe into this thing that okay, they're just human beings. And for me, the preparation, the guest preparation, so my personality is if I'm prepared, if I feel prepared, then that gives me confidence. If I'm going unprepared and there is no right or wrong way of preparation for any guest, mm-hmm. every guest is different. You know, mm-hmm. some has decades of experience. So it really depends on the interview or personality and the interviewee personality. So it, it varies. So another thing is that we, they all struggle. We all struggle. We all have challenges. And it just they are they have learned to be resilient. They have practices, they ask for support, they ask for help. They are not doing it alone. If you see someone really successful, they haven't done it all alone. They have people who are supporting them. Support. Yeah. I will say the support, getting help and getting support. If you're struggling with something emotional, get therapy, get life coaches, get help. You can't do it all alone. Mm-hmm. That word resilience has been coming up a lot for me, especially since the pandemic hit in the last two years. It's really called for us to to be more resilient. Does that word carry any 
weight to you or does it have like how would you define resilience for yourself if that's seems to be a common characteristic of a lot of successful people if you look at the common definition of resilience you fall back and then you stand you fall back you stand that's life yes life goes in the flows highs and lows when you feel low then remembering that and reminding us of that you won't feel low all the time if you're feeling depressed you won't feel like this all the time there are going to be happy moments there are going to be depressed moments so like two sides of a pendulum one side is happiness and another side is something negative emotion or not so positive emotion so life flows in the pendulum i know that when i struggle i get help now i don't do it alone mm. when some some past trauma reactivates or something happens i i like to get help i process through journaling through meditation and getting coaching getting therapeutic help and and then you feel better you get back you move on something happens you figure it out then happens this this resilience not feeling that this is it you will always come back to another side mm-hmm. of that trouble or the hardship so yeah. knowing that and realizing that it's 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 going to be okay it's going to be okay you don't have to dwell in that yes when you are in that hardship it's tough to face it you don't you feel like why this happens to me mm-hmm. why this happens to me all the time why not you <laughs> yeah so i mean having practices to deal with that having some you know go for running go for a walk do something yes but it, it again depends on the level of hardship mm-hmm. if something is really big going on it takes time it's not a switch it's not a flip it takes time depending on the hardship you're going through i know another thing for you is well one as a podcaster like you you get to ask people really intriguing questions and i i know one of the practices that you probably live into as well is asking yourself empowering questions and i'm sure it evolves but I, i'm interested in practices but i'm also really interested in maybe some of the questions that you ask yourself or that you live into like one one example might be what would this look like if it were easy i know that you and i share mm-hmm. a, a love yeah. with tim ferris and that's a question that he asked but are, are there any other questions that you ask yourself that you live yeah into? what what gives me satisfaction if i look at my list and it's overwhelming to me okay what would i do that would give me the most satisfaction i think this comes from tim ferris mm-hmm. and what i'm not looking i'm going to paraphrase this what is it that i'm not seeing or seeing the reality what is it what ideas what expectations i'm carrying yeah of myself and of others that i'm not seeing the reality what because my perception is not the perception it is filtered perception yes. through those conditioning through that programming so how can i decondition that uh-huh. programming and try to see the reality through different lenses because my lens is not the only lens and having healthy debate not arguments with people because debate when you are in a debate it's healthy because you see different perspectives you learn from different perspectives 
when it is argument you feel that your way is the only way mm. so being open to others perspectives yeah have you have you had anyone on your podcast that you have maybe have you ever gotten into a debate on your podcast or if not like have you had someone on who you might have disagreed with a little bit ideologically but you you they're held in high esteem and you wanted to learn something from them and and what was that like because part part of the reason I'm asking this question is I experienced for myself one of the one of the biggest areas of development would be to invite in more debate and and more co- like healthy conflict in my life and I've always been a, a pretty conflict avoidant person but I really think I could learn a lot from having if not on my podcast having conversations with people who I see the world a little differently then so it, like is that something you've done you've actively seeked for your podcast I don't actively seek for that healthy debate because it goes back to your intention mm-hmm. it goes back to your intention my intention is to develop relationship with the guest and I don't remember if the healthy debate has come up so far yes i might disagree but if i disagree i will like to ha- i will like to ask some thought provoking questions to them okay if they are saying talking about resilience if they are talking about mindset if they are talking about some practices i will ask them how do you apply that in your own life because theory is one thing you can everybody can read that so how do you apply that do you have any stories that you can share with us concrete i i like to ask concrete examples whenever possible because theory we can all go to a web and read theories how you have applied those things in your own life so before recording this podcast you mentioned debbie millman so i asked her about the meditation she said that she never does meditation she never has maybe she has now until last year she never had any sitting meditation her meditation is painting mm-hmm. drawing i asked guy kawasaki who is an evangelist happily evangelist and he's a big name he never has any mindfulness practice uh-huh. so he told me if you are looking for something mindful i'm not the right guest for you <laughs> <laughs> i said no it's okay you don't have this mindfulness practice people but he serves he he loves surfing so people have different practices you don't have to have for if you take an example of meditation you don't have to have sitting meditation to be mindful you training your mind you have you need to have different practices art drawing painting running music so learning that i learned that perspective that you don't have to have sitting formal meditation mm-hmm. you can have different ways to meditate and focus and concentrate yeah so healthy debate if somebody is some someone is saying they don't have meditation then why should i argue that or have a debate and bring about the science of meditation you know so healthy debate no but some guests have asked me the question in return they we had this although i was interviewing them they started asking me things and they helped me they helped me i remember two names they really helped me so i was going through some challenges at that point and so the tables were turned they they kind of coached me through about that yeah uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah and and that's happened to me a few times as uh as a host also where the the tables get turned and I'm asked questions and I I'd, I'd be open to that if if that's something that you're interested in but yeah. 
I also, I wanted to unpack a little bit with you, some of your daily practices. You, you mentioned meditation and journaling, but I really like double click on, on those things. Like there's, I know there's different types of meditation. There's different types of journaling practices. And you mentioned that you go for walks and there's different ways that you nourish your body, but are there any, what, what daily practices right now for you are, feel the most present or have been things that you've been toying with? So sitting meditation has been there for the last four to five years and journaling. I can journal pretty much any time in day, whenever I feel it, but it has this practice of journaling has a stick to me for the last four to five years. I enjoy it. I can just, I like it. Because that's that's how I like to process my mind likes to process. It may not be for everyone. If somebody is good at thinking in their own head, good for them. For me, journaling, free flow journaling, mm-hmm. free flow journaling and meditation and uh, walking. These days I go for a run. The first thing I, when I wake up, I go for running, 15, 20 minutes running. And then I meditate. And then I do some basic stretching, yoga based stretching for 10 minutes. And from the last couple of months, I listen to music, good music, and move my body, free flow my body. So right now, meditation, running, seems a lot, but it, you can squeeze. You don't have to have big chunk of time. And then some five to nine minutes of music, five to ten minutes of moving my body. That's pretty much. And I read pretty much all the time. So even if I don't read anything in the morning, I'm good with that. I know. I'll be reading something in the day. What are you diving deep on most these days? You said that when you first when you first moved to the US, it was like 27 to 2019, there was lots of, it seems like you were dabbling in lots of different, you were just reading a bunch of different things and attending a lot of different workshops and, and really sounds like spreading yourself a little thin, trying to learn so many different things. It's almost like I, I've heard it, be compared to trying to hydrate from a fire hose, right? It's like the, the water is just like shooting out and you're trying to catch whatever you can. And what, what I'm hearing from you is that you've become more of a, like a deeper learner. You focus on one thing and, and want to go all in on it. What's, what's got your attention most these days? So one of my friends tells me, one of my friends told me that life gives you curriculum. I asked him, he's, he's an entrepreneur. He's a business coach. I asked him, how do you, find books, how do you find workshops, seminars, coaches. He told me that life gives you curriculum. So listening to life. So I like to listen to life. What I what I need right now, what is my need, rather than focusing on some some other book that I don't really need right now. So these days, intimacy, learning about intimacy, learning about sexual intimacy, learning about anxiety learning about shadow work if we have explored the shadow work the shadow work is the dark side in our psyche it goes back to carl jung so last three to four weeks have been into shadow work understanding what's my impulse what is my desire i'm reading blocks from 1950s about shadow work why we recreate childhood traumas and I'm, i'm learning about Attachment theory, I'm learning about how how a small child attaches with their parents mm-hmm. because that's 
that is showing up in my life. You know, the anxious attachment, you mentioned that you were conflict avoidant. I'm more into anxious attachment and this, my anxious attachment shows up in my romantic life. Other than that, I deal with uncertainty pretty well. Mm-hmm. I have a very high degree of tolerance with uncertainty, but in my romantic life, that's where the the trauma happens. That's why I'm, I'm going deeper. Why? What is this anxiety telling me? Mm-hmm. And what what are what are? I mean, you mentioned a little bit there one of your shadows, but what what have been some of your deep learnings about your shadows or in, in this exploration? What have you most learned about yourself? So, explaining a little bit more on shadow. So, we human beings cannot see our own shadow, right? It's suppressed or repressed in our own psyche. As a child, when somebody told you this is not good, this is not the right behavior, those memories, those emotions got repressed in your own psyche. And as an adult, as a child, you showed anger and your parents told you, you're not supposed to show anger. Mm. But as an adult, you know, this is not the right behavior. So you just suppressed that anger emotion in your psyche. And that anger comes through in different ways as an adult. For example, if you're driving and somebody cuts you off in the lane, you might say F word or you might curse or you feel frustrated. Why? The the automatic emotion that come, mm-hmm. that is coming through your shadow and mm-hmm. really becoming aware of your own behaviors. Mm-hmm. That why that why did I show that behavior? Why I'm feeling this fantasy? Why I'm feeling this impulse? So it goes back to awareness. If somebody is not aware at all, you won't even see that, right? So if you are somewhat aware, then you can say, okay, why did I say that? Why did I act like that? And then. And underneath that, there is a desire. Mm-hmm. Asking yourself. So you ask me what what kind of questions I'm asking. These days I'm asking, what is my desire? If I'm feeling happy in something, what is my desire? This is getting fulfilled. If I'm not happy, what desire not getting fulfilled? So ask what a desire. If those desires are not fulfilled or fulfilled, it comes through in different emotions. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. So sure. last week, there was this truck that was blocking the who was blocking the driveway. And I could have honked to that truck. I didn't honk. I showed him. My, I, I waved at him. He didn't do anything. He was still blocking. I didn't honk. I could have done that. I just left. And I felt frustrated. I thought, okay, why well, I'm feeling passive aggressive? That passive aggression is coming from the childhood. Uh-huh. I could have done something. It's wrong. If something is wrong, I could have told him in the right way. I could have done something rather than walking away and feeling frustrated, feeling passive aggressive and saying, fuck you like that to that guy. Right? Uh-huh. So knowing the understanding why, why when there is a conflict, your body tells you, listening to your body, mm. you want to do something, consciously you want to do something, but unconsciously there is something else. And there is a great book I have been learning about I've actually read, listened to that book on Audible a couple of times called Existential Kink. Existential Kink. Uh-huh. It's not about kink. It's about the shadow piece. It's all about subconscious or unconscious. Goes back to Carl Jung philosophy. So this is a very, I recommend this book to everyone who want to explore this dark side. So it's not about repressing your dark side. It's about integrating your dark side with your positive side. And on the other side, when you see the positive things in other people, 
you already have those positive because people are our mirrors. Mm -hmm. There's, there's two things. I mean, there's, there's so much in that response and, and thank you for sharing all that Nishan. There's, there's two things that stand out to me <clears throat> as uh, areas I want to continue to explore with you. One is you mentioned that things come up in the body. You, so you, there might be in, in this instance, there was a, a truck driver who was blocking you and you're in the driveway and you're trying to get out. And there's something like something somatically seems like was happening in your body. So I would love to hear just a little bit more about how you develop awareness around your body and like the, the emotions and like what, what's coming up for you in any given moment. And you mentioned, and you can answer either one of these in, in whatever order you want, but you've, you've mentioned a couple of times now that you've worked, that you do work with a coach. And I'd be curious to hear, does your coach help you explore all this? Is it like, is a lot of your awareness developed through coaching or is, is coaching more on the tactical side of just like, what, what should I do with my career? So my personality is that I like to learn on my own first. Mm. Always, I was like a lone wolf. From 2017, in last five years, I was just doing it on my own. I was listening to Tim Ferriss, Brennan Bouchard, Wayne Dyer, Tony Robbins, and whatever they were saying, just implementing that in my own life. So there are a lot of free stuff available. Mm -hmm. And I had meditation practice, I had journaling practice, so I was already cultivating that awareness, right? But with time, with experiences, your awareness gets deepened. Mm -hmm. When you're starting all this thing, you won't be able to figure it out easily. It takes time. Mm -hmm. If you were talking about all this thing three years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So last year, since last year, I started getting help you know, from different coaches, from somatic coaches, from, it's not, it's tactical and it is both somatic based as well. You know, just feeling the feelings, where in your body you are feeling the feelings. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just one thing, everything is connected. If, you, you know, if you're not able to process something hard, then your tactics may not work. You're, if you're not feeling successful internally, your external success I don't know how that would look like. So I started getting help, a lot of help since last year. So doing it on my own, then realize that, yes, I can do it on my own, but if I get help, then I can move faster. Not to prove anything to anyone, but why not get help? People who have done it, asking for help, different kinds of coaches. So now I have a career coach. I have different teachers and coaches that whatever, whenever I feel just having an army of coaches, you don't have to cling to one person all the time. Just getting help from different people, getting different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And with, with that somatic awareness, could you share maybe one example of how that might happen in everyday life? Like I can imagine for me, it's like every now and then to bring back my conflict avoidance, like maybe I get an email from someone that that activates me in, in some way that they're making a request that it, it seems to infringe on a boundary that I would like to have set. And then I, I might notice like uh, my gut flares a, a little bit, it starts pulsing a little bit more. And so one of my practices would be to just breathe with that sensation instead of like trying to run from it or hide from it, 
it might be to just breathe with that sensation. Like there's, there's a little bit of fear, maybe some anger that's, that's stirring in my gut. Is there an, an everyday example that, that happens for you? Yeah, you're doing the right thing. So you're taking a pause before responding or before doing anything. So taking a pause when something bothers you or anyone taking a pause in that moment, which is hard because impulse wants you to do something right away. And mm-hmm. this is where I'm leaning into what, what is my intuition? What is my impulse? Impulse wants me to do something. So I've been practicing not to act on that impulse right away. And if that thing keeps coming up over and over, then I might take action. But the hard part is in my romantic life, the impulse. I'm still working on that impulse in my romantic life. Other than that, I'm pretty good at. Another example is that when my mom wants to share something emotional with me. Mm. As a child, she never shared those things because she didn't know. And now as an adult, she wants to, she, if she would share things, my automatic response is avoiding her messages, even though I'm not avoidant, but I, I recently discovered this in the last few weeks that I'm avoiding those messages, taking my time. So now I'm going there. I'm, instead of avoiding those messages, I'm going there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it goes back to the awareness. Okay, you are aware that you're avoiding this thing or this in the right behavior. Now you go closer to your triggers. Mm-hmm. You, you can only uncover those triggers. You can learn. Trigger is an opportunity to learn something when you get triggered it means something from your psyche is coming up that is showing you it's a learning opportunity when you are triggered it's not a good thing but it's a learning opportunity it's a teacher to you to break through that and it doesn't mean that if you meditate if you have all these practices you won't get triggered you will get triggered but you will realize that okay you are getting triggered you can take a you can take a course of correction from there mm. It's, you know, it, I, I only pretty recently have come to the realization that the object of meditation isn't to just feel calm all the time and never get triggered. It's, it's really just to build awareness around those triggers. It's not to necessarily change them. So I, I love that you brought that into the conversation. I also, I know that you've interviewed people. It, if not experts in psychedelics, they have experimented with psychedelics. Is that something that you have experimented with too? And has, if so, like what awareness that, that that's one way to really deepen your awareness. So uh-huh. uh, what have you have learned? You, have, you, have you explored psychedelics? I have not. Uh, I, I microdosed mushrooms before, but I, I have not, I haven't really done, I would love to actually like do a, a guided yeah uh, you can dose you can you can put a disclaimer that psychedelics is not for everyone for sure i'm not an expert by any means for sure but psychedelic is one of the healing modalities a lot of my friends are into psychedelics i started doing psychedelics since last year only i haven't done a bunch but i've explored some and it's a very powerful tool you nobody should do it alone you need support you need you need to work with someone, a therapist or a shaman. You, need, you can do it. And there are many different substances under the umbrella of psychedelics. One is MDMA, which is a heart opener. I've learned to feel empathy, just to feel love. There are MDMA, which is called ecstasy or molly, many different kinds of mushrooms, ketamine. And uh, there are many, many, many substances under the psychedelics, and they have their own 
purpose, what you really want to do, but that really opens the doors too much for you. If you, if someone doesn't, if someone hasn't done any emotional work, foundation of emotional work, this will mess you up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not something you just pop the pill and trip it. No, it might do more damage than good. So knowing the intention, right, right, set and setting and working with some, if something, yeah, these are scary things. So yes, I've, sure. I've explored. It's, it's one of the powerful, very powerful healing modalities. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll underline it a, a thousand times that this is not me endorsing that everyone should go out there and, and try it. I certainly haven't really experimented a lot with it. And this is not, I'm not an expert. Nishant said he's not an expert. We're not, not recommending. Expert, I, I like, because I had Will, Will Richards, so William Richards. He also is known by Bill. He's 81, 82 years old. So he is one of the pioneers in the psychedelics, the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, he worked with Abraham Maslow in 1960s. One of the pioneers in the psychedelics of his life. So I had him on the podcast and it goes back to the integration. How do you integrate? Mm-hmm. When when something comes in your, when you're tripping, how do you integrate? Just for example, meditation for 20 minutes is fine if you are a, douchebag if you're not treating people good what is the point of meditation the thing is learning from that practice and applying that into your daily life for sure and that's the thing with meditation you can be calm and relaxed but how do you take that calm and relaxation into your real life when you're getting triggered you know just that and meditation is not just about calm and relaxation it can build your focus concentration and awareness just if when you just sit or just walk, just listen to the sounds of birds, just listen to your surroundings, cultivating this awareness rather than being in your head all the time, right? We are in our head all the time. Always. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So th- thank you for sharing that. Thank you for uh, yeah, shining light on some of your experiences. Books have come up several times now, and I know that there's not there isn't a book that you can just recommend for everyone, but I, I would love to hear like what books in the last year or so have, uh, yeah. Have you learned the most from, or would you recommend? The most? Yeah. Great question. So at this point, I like to read books over and over rather than trying to mm-hmm. read some eight books, 10 books. I may read one book a month over and over. So I actually wrote a blog post on that, the books that inspired me in last two years and that I've read it dozens of times. The one book is The Art of Possibility. The Art of Possibility. Amazing book. How do you create possibilities? And I was reading this book during my early stage of podcasting about rejection. How do you how do you deal with rejections? How do you deal with no's when somebody says no? When somebody says no to you, they are not saying no to you. They are just not interested. It doesn't mean that you have to take personally. We all take personally. Mm-hmm. The art of possibility. Another is transitions. Amazing book that I've read it so many times. In fact, I was reading it last month. We are transitioning from one thing to another, from one relationship to another, from one job to another job, from once from singlehood to become being married or something like that. We are we all are transitioning. How do we handle those transitions with grace? Because transitions are hard. We just we feel lost, we feel confused when we are into something new because that old identity is still attached. We haven't let go of that old thing and we are into this new thing. 
transitions is big and uh, the one that i'm rereading is meeting in captivity by asar parel it talks about unlocking erotic intelligence can we i have this actually this book in front of me can we desire what we already have does good intimacy always make for hard sex i'm rereading that another is awareness by anthony demello so tim ferris recommended this book in one of his newsletters so a few books that i like to recommend are the possibility transitions awareness meeting in captivity and this week i'm also reading attached it has the new signs of adult attachment i have that book in front of me attached it talks about your anxious attachment your conflict avoidant avoidance and all those attachment styles how we learn to how we learn those patterns early on in our childhood mm-hmm. well before we move towards the the back end where i like to ask more rapid fire type of questions was there was there anything that we didn't get to so far that you would like to invite into the conversation and yeah i'll, I'll pause there i'm enjoying the flow okay sounds good Well, I'll start to bring it towards the the back end here and uh these are some questions I like to ask all of my guests. I I always get really great answers. So, what's uh one ordinary moment in your everyday life that brings you great joy? <laughs> Listening to my favorite songs on repeat every day. One is from Jason Mraz, I am yours. And just dancing my body on that song. Yeah. it's a great song it's dancing and yeah yeah it's like a placebo effect i can i've trained myself to go into different places in the universe and and part of the reason is psychedelic in the past so training my mind to go into different universes different places on that song jason mm-hmm. mirrors i'm yours another song that gives me joy is love me like you do so going through different phases different stages i'm at the stage that i'm enjoying those songs and one of my teachers told me that as a part of cultivating somatic experience somatic practice listen to your favorite song and do nothing just sit mm-hmm. it impulses to your body wants to move don't move just sit uh just observe in your body you were asking about a somatic practice that's one of the somatic yeah. practices that i've been practicing listen to your favorite song that you really want to dance you want to do something on that do nothing just sit and listen to the song and see how your body responds ooh yeah i'm going to um, as soon as we're done with this interview i'm going to give that a shot and i i have a feeling that my listeners will as well that's a, that's a another practice is another practice is that listen to something that you don't like let's say if you're not into metal if you're not into rock listen to those songs that your body is not used to of it i remember one meditation i did a few weeks ago so i was literally in tears because that meditation was my body is not used to of the sound of that meditation it's on youtube so that yeah it's, it's a response my body had a response on that meditation music because listening to something uncomfortable do you do you have the name of what that video is i i would love to i will send that to you i will okay. send that to you Yeah. Well, I'll link to everything that we've already mentioned so far in the show notes including the the books you've read and recommended. Well, that was a great first answer. What you've mentioned now teachers, mentors, coaches, 
Are there one or two that come to mind as as most influential on you? Tim Ferriss. <laughs> I've not met him, but I know his close friend, Tim Ferriss. Wayne Dyer, Dr. Wayne Dyer in spirituality. You know, so he's not alive. And from 2017 to 20, for the first three to four years, I was listening to his stuff every day in the morning. And I was able to forgive my dad just through his teachings. I have never met him and just through his teaching. So teachers, mentors could be a virtual teachers and mentors, you, even if you don't meet them personally. And around three years ago, I was a big fan of Brennan Bashar. I don't, you know, as he evolved, mm-hmm. it's a new phases, new stages. At the time, three, four years ago, I was into Brennan Bashard, then Tim Ferriss, still Tim Ferriss. And now I have different coaches and teachers that I, they are my personal teachers. I know them face to face. What do you admire most about Tim Ferriss? I mean, we, we share a, a passion for his podcast, but what do you admire most about him? I think the personality, because my personality is introvert and I can be extrovert in certain situations. It's a personality type. Yeah. Because my person, I don't listen to Joe Rogan because my personality does not match with that. I can listen to it, but it's something, something with Tim Ferriss. And also learning not to put all the eggs in one basket. I can still, if I'm depending too much for my learning on Tim Ferriss podcasts or Tim Ferriss books, then okay, I may be missing something. So yes, there is a new world out there mm-hmm. as well. So go, remembering that we, in different stages, we need different teachers, different people. Do you do you have any interest in having him on your podcast? Who doesn't have any interest? <laughs> if what would what would be one question that you'd love to ask him? Actually, more than the podcast, my interest with Tim Ferriss would be to just go on a walk or go on a for a coffee or for a dinner. So, thing is, my intention with the podcast is to build relationship after the after that one hour is done or so. Mm-hmm. So uh, even if that podcast doesn't happen with him, how can I connect with him and just get feedback? My question is, can you, can you get me feedback on what I'm doing in this podcasting? I would like to ask this question, how can I improve? Mm-hmm. And just this relationship, man. Yeah. We live in Austin. He doesn't live far from me. <laughs> Maybe uh-huh. we meet somewhere. Yeah. Maybe exactly. he lives 10, 15 minutes from me. <laughs> uh-huh. It looks pretty close. Is that that question about feedback? Do you ask every single person who comes on your podcast for feedback? No, actually I don't. Uh, is is that something you've asked any like I, I would love to hear if you've gotten any feedback that's been helpful for you as a, a podcaster or listener. I think all of us aspire to be good listeners and it's a really valuable skill. Is that have you gotten any good feedback around that? So not the direct feedback, but indirect feedback. So let's say if I started, I remember one instance, I started something which was which was hard. And she said, let's not take this question. And then I asked second question. She said, let's not take this question. Third question, she said, let's not take this question. So I was like, okay, take a step back. So I had to reshift my strategy uh-huh. because she said, let's not do this question because I asked my guests, if something is uncomfortable, you don't want to talk about, let's not, you can skip that. You can pass that. So first three questions, she said, let's not do this. So, okay. So indirect feedback. So she didn't like it. She didn't like it. Doesn't mean that. And the same question might work for someone else. So the feedback, not directly, but I realized that asking 
the tough emotional part when the recording hits take time get warm up mm-hmm. i try to do that mm-hmm. get you know don't rush into hardest stuff right away uh-huh. it don't don't skip the foreplay <laughs> uh, yeah and and debbie debbie millman said she doesn't i asked some i asked her something about her past she said she has talked about it so many times that she doesn't want to she doesn't feel to talk about it sure no no worries Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Well, I think I just have one or one or two more questions for you Nishant. Um what's a favorite failure of yours? <laughs> I think I failed more than I've succeeded. Mm-hmm. My favorite failure. Hmm. I have this question. Mhm. I'm 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 thinking in my childhood in my adulthood I'm trying to think of a time that I thought I failed bad time okay I've processed that and when I was in 9th grade when I was 50 14 you know growing up in India we had our subjects everything in English but we didn't speak English we were not speaking english so when i was 14 i failed english subject and i used to be very i used to be in the top in the class i was very studious and when i failed that english subject that was a big trauma in my life you know become from coming top every time in the class and fail that subject it really shook my confidence it really shook my courage and you know i took that as a lesson and then i started learning to speak english with others who could speak somewhat and just practicing english so that was the thing the trauma or that failure in that english subject helped me to just keep studying and learning more about english when i was in india mm-hmm. yeah thanks for sharing that All right, Nishant. Well, the the final, or actually, before my final question, uh, where would you point my listeners to connect with you? I know you have a wonderful podcast and a newsletter. So, where where should they connect with you? My only website is shreepsgolan/slash/slash/nishantgurg.me and i s h a n t g a r g dot me, and all the information is pretty much there. Okay, sounds good. Well, I'll link to both of those in my show notes. And the final question that I ask all my guests. The podcast is called Mike's Search for Meaning. And so I want to know in your words in in Planet Nishant, uh, what does it mean to live a meaningful life? A meaningful life to me is a life where I have love. A life where I have relationships. Love and relationships is my highest priority more than money. Mhm. a life of love excellence and relationships mm-hmm. what about you what is yours <laughs> yeah here we go well i i love how succinctly you put that like that one version of that is just to to live from my heart to live wholeheartedly and and to live with love but yeah for me it's i always come back to just walking my path i mean being able to tune in to what feels really true to me inside and i experience myself to be a a really good 
person who who wants to not only do what's best for me, but to make a contribution to whether it's my family, my friends, society at large. I really do think about how can I make the world a, a better place, and and that really, instead of it being a grandiose question of like how can I live a meaningful life with giant impact, it really starts with what is my heart calling me to do, and do I have the courage to just keep answering all those different calls? Very true. Life is happening in the moments, in those yes. moments of awe, mm-hmm. right? So you know, and, and another another version of that for me right now, Nishant, is to enjoy it. Right, so to have a little bit of fun. So yeah. I'm I'm really appreciating your invitation to first. I'm going to listen to a song and see what happens somatically for me, and then yeah. uh, after paying attention to that, maybe I'll play it back again and and actually dance it out because I I think part of living a meaningful life is to really enjoy it and and to cherish it too. Awesome, great. Yes. Well, Nishan, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. Like, like I said, I'm a big fan of the work you're doing. It seems like we're, we're running uh, parallel types of podcasts. We're up to similar things in the world. And it was just a, a treat to have you on my show. It's my pleasure to be invited. Thank you so much, Michael. And to all the listeners, I hope you have a great rest of your day or evening and take care.